Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And here we are in Isaiah chapter 10. I really enjoyed going over chapter 9 yesterday with Pastor Bernard Ross. We were looking at, you know, these well-known words, this Christmas time prophecy, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, you know, and the names, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And we were, it was so cool to look at how that really fits into that original context and how, you know, when you can see and appreciate our Lord Jesus as a newer and greater Hezekiah, who, who gives us the real Passover, who gives us true insight into the word, that's, uh, it just, it just points you to Jesus and in an even brighter light. So we have this transition, though, today in chapter 10. We didn't talk about it very much, but chapter 9, though, right, it's not all about that new dawn. Uh, you have that word against Jacob that will fall on Israel and this uh, more darkness still. And today in chapter 10, you have these woes on top of that. So um, we'll have to talk about, so what? why this transition? We had all this bright light and new dawn, and now we're back to this and um, this description of of Assyria here. So what's the transition? What's, what's really being thought of? What's, what's the picture here? And you have all these uh, specific names about uh, Assyria, which is new for Isaiah, that we're focusing on Assyria in such detail. So joining us to go over these sorts of things, these questions, we have with us Pastor Andrew Yeager, hope I'm saying that right. Is it Yeager or Yeager? What to see? Pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana, Good morning, brother. Okay, how do help me with your name, brother? I don't want to be butchering it here. <laughs> Just Jaeger. Yep. Ye- yeah, Jaeger. Okay, it is Jaeger. Like yep. um, like like a well-known spirit. Okay, very good. Okay, exactly. excellent. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's so good, brother, to have you have you with us. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope I hope you weren't um, too disappointed that that we weren't going to go over Isaiah nine together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have signed up for that one, huh? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, I mean, it's just I mean, as we were seeing, though, I mean, really appreciating the context here. It's just, you know, it really just, it ties all these things which are are beautiful and heavenly down to earth. And we see how all this is unfolding in these, these real life situations and people who are struggling with, you know, real life problems, you know, um, these aren't legendary figures. These are, these are people who are like you and me, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. And as you uh, introduced there, the overarching theme is a word of judgment, but there is also... Uh, as we study the text closely, uh, notes of God's mercy that are throughout this chapter as well. Uh, so it's not all, as we would say, as Lutheran's law. Uh, we do uh-huh. see the grace of God in certain places as well. So um, it'll be good to touch on those. Definitely. And, and yeah, it is, um, <clears throat> as, as you said, it is, it is a lot of law. In fact, I mean, we get to 34 verses of it. Some of these are longer verses, but uh, we do have uh, these little bits sprinkled in here and there. And so we want to make sure we have time to to get to those and, and talk about all of them. So let's go ahead and dive into it. And as we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening? Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your holy prophet Isaiah, you speak a word of judgment against your people. Our hearts are so often hardened and turned away from you. 
And yet through Isaiah, you also foretold the coming of a gracious Messiah, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who would bear our sins and iniquities and make full atonement for us that we might be reconciled to you as your holy children. And so we beseech you that of your mercy, you would awaken in us a true and godly repentance that we may be turned from sin and turned to you, the source of our life and salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and just read like the first four verses and then we can stop and just kind of reflect on, okay, what's this new chapter about? How does it fit in with what we read in Isaiah 9? And in particular, like I was already mentioning, there was a there was a big transition in the middle of nine here that seems to be at play still. So let's just read four verses to kind of get that going. Chapter 10 here, English Standard Version. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make for the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. All right, so a very a very fierce woe here, and you have that refrain at the end. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. That's what we saw earlier a couple times in chapter 9. So it seems like really the transition was uh, back in the previous chapter, right? Yes, and uh, the commentary that I've been using shows that this is really uh, of a piece, 9 verse 8 through 10 verse 4. This is really one unit. And to pick up that verse, again, 9 verse 8, the poem starts out this way, The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. So this is Isaiah preaching God's wrath and judgment against 9 verse 9, the pride and the arrogance of heart of the powerful and corrupt leaders of of, uh, uh, Judah who are full of unbelief, and that uh, idolatry, that wickedness is manifest in uh, abusing um, the weak and the poor, abandoning justice, morality, taking advantage of the widow, the fatherless, uh, not giving the poor their fair trial. And so this is law and judgment saying that the day of punishment against Judah is coming, and God's instrument of that punishment, as we will see, will be Assyria. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And so, and that, and that's helpful to see because you know that was that was something we were talking about. You know, chapter nine, and you know the way we have it broken down in, in our in our modern Bible with the numbers anyway, the modern numbers that we've kind of added in. Um, there's something awkward about the the bit in chapter nine because you you have the description of you know the darkness in chapter eight, and then you get the transition into the the light. And so, like, I think that's why you know um, you know we we put that new chapter break in there. Um, because there is this transition and this, you know, beautiful description of, of the light and the peace that is going to come after the Assyrians. There's going to be a survival and there's going to be peace, a respite from everything going on. Um, but at the very end there in verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as you said, that that is really the end of that section 
and the beginning of the new section is in verse eight, which you just read. And so um, it, it's sort of interesting. Why do you think we're going from, you know, this description of, you know, okay, yay, we survived the Assyrians. It was really bad, but, you know, God's giving us peace. And now it seems like we're back before, <laughs> back before all the Assyrians and we're still anticipating the destruction here. It's like we, we've uh, kind of gone back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting to also talk about when Isaiah might have written this. Was this written before the Assyrian invasion, or was it written after as a bit of a reflection on what has mm. already taken place? Uh, and that's, I think, scholars are divided on that point. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, you know, um, you, you have all these different, and this is what we saw when we were going over the first several chapters, that you have these different these different oracles, these different poems, right? These different prophetic words, and um, in, in their present form here, they've all been you know put together as like kind of one big you know compilation. But certainly, we know that right. Isaiah was active and doing his thing from you know, I mean, it says there in chapter six from the year Uzziah died, um, at mm-hmm. least um, through the reigns of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. So, I mean, he has this you know long career, you might say, as a prophet. Um, during which these things might have been, you know, spoken um, in their original uh, settings, like, you know, when Isaiah confronted Ahaz when they were looking at that waterway. But here they are, they're all compiled together here. And so, you know, in this uh, collection here, you know, it's it's probably safe to say that it was at some point later that all these things were put together. And so it does make it kind of hard to say, you know, so, you know, when when were they all gathered up and you know, written down in this way and arranged this way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and we can study the historical context, too, as we go through it. Uh, but, yeah, is, is this exactly chronological? Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it does it does seem safe to say that, you know, we, we are going back to the same time frame that you, we had going on in Chapter 7 and Chapter 8, where we're anticipating that that invasion still we're all on 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 the one side the 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 side where the Assyrians are in the future still and so as you said you know maybe is that written as a as a reflection or is that still something that was said you know in in the in the moment that's that's a, that's a kind of a open question in some ways but regardless the perspective is definitely with the Assyrians in the future now this is before before that great light before Hezekiah comes onto the scene and before we have the peace of Hezekiah, this, this is still, we're back now to the perspective of the, the excess, the, the corruption under Jotham and Ahaz, where the, where, well, actually this is very interesting. You have the mention of the spoil and the prey again, right? Where the, the, the wealthy and the powerful are taking the, turning aside the needy from justice, robbing the poor of their right, turning the widows into spoil and the fatherless into prey. Um, that, that phrasing we've seen before, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting to see what kind of metaphorical language he's using here uh, for his people. But ultimately he says, and where will you leave your wealth? To whom will you flee for help? So this is again, a word of judgment that says, you know, you're abusing the helpless now, but you will be helpless on the day of judgment when the right. Assyrian uh, invaders come in. Right. There's going to be a, a reversal. And in, in, in some ways, it's 
um, their their own. I mean, because we got to remember, right? When the Assyrians come, it's it's the it's the powerful and the wealthy in in Judah who invited them, <laughs> in many ways. Right. And so, you know, this really is a turning of the tables where they are just receiving the fruit of their own doing. The I guess you might say they're just reaping what they sowed. And and um, in the midst of that judgment, which is is just completely just, completely fair, you you have this this phrasing of the spoil and the prey, and I'm just what it immediately brought back to mind for me was that crazy name that we saw that um, we were all kind of looking at and scratching our heads about back in chapter eight, um, Isaiah's second son, um, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And we were, you know, right. kind of looking at that name a couple of times ago. And what, who was it with? It was with uh, Pastor Lekomsky, you know, and I just, oh man, like these, these mouthful names, but we were seeing how, you know, these, um, these kind of live, um, you know, ticking uh, countdowns here with these children and these names they're, you know, of course, a, a name that has, you know, spoil and prey in it, that doesn't particularly sound very, you know, optimistic, but on the other hand, I mean, what's the meaning? It says, uh, the meaning literally something along the lines like the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. And so I think if you see it here again in chapter 10, talking about the, the prey and the spoil, or actually another way of putting that is like the plunder and the spoil. Um, and I think that's, that, that's kind of the, the phrasing here you have in chapter 10. It, it, the idea I think is that, okay, the, the poor widows and the fatherless right now they're they're the spoil they're the spoils of war you know they're the spoils of oppression they're, they are the plunder they are the preyed upon right but they're going to get away they, they are going to escape this and so by right. talking about judgment against their oppressors this is actually already an op i mean there, there is some good in this there this is a gospel word that the widows and the fatherless are no longer going to be oppressed by these guys and when we think of the other name uh, of Isaiah's son or the other son, Shear Jeshub, which means mm-hmm. a remnant will return, right? A remnant will return. And so uh, the judgment that falls upon Israel will not completely obliterate or destroy Israel, but will, uh, there will be a remnant. So God will preserve his people through this. And that mm-hmm. is, I think, the note of grace and uh, mercy of our compassionate God that we find there. Yes. Well, and, and I think that that's like the, the, the really the major note of gospel here. It's already kind of, you know, in a, in a minor way, kind of implicit here that, well, if the oppressors are, are going to go away, then the oppressed, you know, have some relief, but, uh, but really it's that remnant that we're getting to um, Isaiah's, you know, first son. That's the really, the big one that you get in this chapter, finally coming into focus. I mean, let's go ahead and keep reading and get to that then. Um, we left it off in verse, we left off at verse four, um, which we were saying, you know, kind of completes that, that section with the, for all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still that, that refrain that you had. And, uh, now, now we're turning our attention to focus more on Assyria themselves here. So verse five, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend. 
and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Karkamish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? All right, so pausing pausing there briefly, I mean, there's a couple things going on here. Um, we've seen this already. The, the basic, I think, thrust is that you know, uh, he, he's not going to be content just to wipe out Damascus and Samaria. He's going to keep going for Judah and even Jerusalem. He's going to set his eyes on Jerusalem. So um, it, it's just the same thing that we've seen in the past several chapters. You know, be careful what you wish for, Judah. Sure. In those first verses that you read, there are really, again, God uh, saying that he is going to use Assyria as his instrument uh, this reminds us of the book of Judges, where God sends foreign armies uh, to humble, discipline his people because they were literally whoring after uh, false gods, Canaanite gods and goddesses. And so in verses 5 and 6, Assyria is uh, Yahweh's instrument against his own people. But then what we have is this transition in verse 8, where uh, it's almost as if the Assyrian king is talking to himself. Uh, right. And he's saying that his desire is not just for Israel. He, he mm -hmm. doesn't only have his sights set on Israel, but really world domination. Uh, and um, uh, so what God is going to do is not only is he going to chasten his people using Assyria, but he's going to chasten Assyria as well in the pride and arrogance of the heart of the king that uh, really wants to take over the entire world. And it's yeah. interesting there when he says, you know, is Kalno not like Carchemish, is Hamath like Ar Arpad, and so forth. Uh -huh. The king's reasoning here is, I took that, now I can take this. You know, I've taken that city, mm -hmm. I can go ahead and take it, uh, an even greater city. Um, that, that's that's right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's and this is just the, the paradox of power, right? Like, the more power you have, mm -hmm. the more you feel desperately that you need more power. Um, and you're just, you're just never, you're never content. You're, in fact, you're less and less content in some ways. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you do have, that's the thing that's interesting. I think you're, you're right oh. on here that God is identifying this, this, this lust for power here, which is going to ultimately invoke his wrath against Assyria as well. And this mm -hmm. is an interesting little thing here, but you know, um, if, if you're looking at the Lutheran Study Bible edition of the ESV, you'll see in verse 5 it says, Ah, Assyria, the rod of my wrath. Um, I don't know, almost like God's kind of fondly looking at his instrument like, yes, you know, we're going to get some good work done today. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly he is, uh, Assyria, that is, he certainly is the instrument of God's wrath. But the word is woe, the same word that we had earlier in verse 10, uh, in right, chapter 10, verse 1, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. So uh, it, it is a mixture here. Uh, on the one sure. hand, yeah, he's doing God's will. But on the other hand, uh, his heart is not in the right place. And so he will be an yeah. instrument only for a time. Mm -hmm. And just as a side note, what's also interesting in verses 10 and 11 uh, is the king is saying, I have taken over kingdoms with better idols 
than uh, than Jerusalem and Samaria. So the king is imagining that Yahweh is just another powerless idol that he can right. come and take over. Uh, and that might also point to the fact of the rampant idolatry that was going on uh, in right. Jerusalem, that they actually were worshiping many other gods. But he's saying, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, uh, Israel's really a little, a small fish. You know, I've taken over greater kingdoms than this. Right. This is going to be no problem. Uh, he mm-hmm. has, his, again, his sights set on bigger and better things. And so you're right, this mixture of God chastening Israel through Samaria or Assyria, but then God also chastening and judging Assyria. Right. And, and, the, and the last thing, um, you know, kind of just about the idea of he's just, you know, rounding up idols. He's like making himself a collection, right? It is interesting mm-hmm. how he does say that in verse six of the second half to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Again, you have that pair spoil and plunder. And so, uh, again, it's just it, the reversal theme is already here, even though this is a lot of words of wrath. Um, you know, there there is already this this hint of gospel in that, you know, here the the ones who were making the poor, the widows and the fatherless, their prey and their spoil, their spoil and their plunder. Here he's sending Assyria to make those guys the spoil and the plunder. So, I mean, th- in this way of rescuing the poor, that that is that is already being hinted at, um, even though the picture is certainly pretty bleak still. I I think it's a a great uh, biblical truth that God uses evil against evil. You know, we expect God to just completely obliterate and to crush evil, but what we see God so often doing throughout the scriptures is using evil for his own good and gracious purposes. Right. Um, right now in catechism, I'm going through the story of Joseph with my seventh graders. Mm, and, yeah. you know, my goodness, how, how we see this God taking Absolutely. Uh, again and again the evil plans and designs of, of wicked people and using them for his good and gracious purposes. And, and that's really, I think, what's going on here, too. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's, it's, um, well, and, and we were talking about that too, that it's just, I mean, earlier when you're talking about glory, right? God's glory appearing, you know, when, when God's glory shows up, you know, that that's going to be an uncomfortable and painful thing. And it's, it's actually because of the way that it shows up in a painful and uncomfortable way for us sinners, that there is going to be some good that comes out of it. So it's always the pattern, you know, God's glory shows up and it's going to always involve both law and gospel uh, on this mm-hmm. side of the second coming. So it's it's always it's always going to be both. It's not going to be just one or the other all by itself. So uh, let's go ahead and, and keep pressing on here. We left it off at eleven, right? So here, mm-hmm. verse twelve, and this this kind of again is a little a little bit of a shift here. At least, kind of, kind of looking ahead now. Verse 12, when the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand is found like a nest to the wealth of the peoples. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth 
and there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who hews it, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. All right, so there's, okay, already this is now the reversal on Assyria, and, and it was just like we were already getting at, there's this there's this boastfulness, and you love the imagery here, right? You know, um, this is, yeah. I'm reminded of what you have in Romans about, you know, shall the, shall the clay, you know, speak against the potter, right? Um, and so here you mm-hmm. are, the axe boasting over um, the one who hews it and the, the rod and the staff against the one who lifts it. Assyria is not recognizing its role as an instrument. That's absolutely right. Uh, you know, in verses 13 and 14, you get once again the inner thoughts of the king of Assyria. And he's uh, really, as you said, he's trusting in his own strength and abilities and the history of his successes. He's going over all of his triumphs. In other words, as you just said, he doesn't see himself as an instrument of God, uh, of divine wrath, but innately strong in and of himself. And so the wrath of God is not only going to come against the pride of of Israel, but also of Assyria. Um, and then you get this, this metaphor in verse 15 of uh, Israel and Judah is like a tree, and Assyria is the axe and the saw in the hand of God. Um, right. That reminds us of, of like John the Baptist when he says to the Pharisees, you know, the axe mm-hmm. is laid at the root, at the root of the trees. Uh, but there's always the hope, though, of the stump, right? That yes, that's right. <laughs> there, some, something yeah. is going to be left. Yeah, I know. As, as bleak as that looks like for the tree, right? There's there's yeah. there's some hope still. But um, hold hold that thought if you would. We want to talk more about that, but we need to go into our break already. So everybody hang with us here. We're listening to Isaiah speak these words of of law and reversal in Isaiah chapter 10 here on thy strong word we'll be right back Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. 
Martin Luther's morning and evening prayers ask God, let your holy angel be with me that the evil foe may have no power over me. What should Christians believe about angels? Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to St. Michael and All Angels Day with Pastor David Peterson. We'll also discuss media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. On the next MOA weekend, I'll share some thoughts with you about 1 Thessalonians 5, where the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Indeed, it is the will of God that you give thanks in a no matter what manner. So how is that done? I'll talk about it on the next MOA weekend, this Saturday and Sunday morning at 7.45 a.m. right here on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 10, and we're joined today by Pastor Andrew Yeager, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Decatur, Indiana. And we were just talking about this this metaphor, and it's one that, you know, um, Pastor Yeager was just pointing out is something that you see in a big way in the New Testament, too, about the axe um, coming down on the tree. And yeah, the you know, that's not a very good not very good odds for the tree, but there is this thought that, you know, even after the ax has its way, there's some stump left over. So it's not, it's not a hopeless image. Um, so we're turning back to that, but uh, before we do, and we get back into that, please do call in. If you are listening live, I always invite our live listeners to call in with questions or comments or um, observations of maybe something jogs your memory and you're thinking of another Bible verse that's connected here. If you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Everybody can also call 1-800-730-2727 or email kfuo at kfuo.org. So, so right. So on the one hand, this, this image is uh, one of judgment, just showing just how, you know, ridiculous, um, the ax is to think that, you know, the ax is ultimate and not just a mere instrument. Um, and then also, um, even though things look bad for the tree, this, this is something that you get into the, into the new Testament, the preaching of John the Baptist, you were just saying that, okay, maybe if there is only a stump, there's, there's still hope then. Right. Yeah, the shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse and how that's uh, our Lord. I, I think it leads into an even greater question as to why does God bring his wrath in the first place? Why is God wrathful? It is never completely to uh, obliterate his people, but rather to refine them. Uh, and so his law is always in service to the gospel. His His wrath is always so that his people might repent and that he might restore them. Um, let me just read Isaiah 1, verse 25, where God mm -hmm. actually does this. He said, yep. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. So, in other mm -hmm. words, God saying, I'm here to refine you. I'm, I'm, I'm punishing you, but that punishment is not to destroy but to uh, refine you through the repentance by calling you to repentance, uh, right? And and that's really what Assyria is, uh, God's instrument to do that, um, right? Right. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about that as as you were saying that there's this um th this sense of purging, and we were looking at that. It was like um, last week or so, like in Isaiah one that 
I mean, it's it's really where the law and the gospel just really you see how they just come, um, you know, just hand in hand. That you know, and, and also in, in Isaiah one and, and two in those early chapters, uh, part of the problem is that you have a mixed up situation. That okay, there's there's some faithfulness in this city, in this in this in Judah, in Israel, but there's a lot of other stuff too. And so you know, and there's a lot of um, hypocrisy, and there's a lot of you know, you know these uh, these secret things going on. And so, how are we supposed to sort this situation out? How are we supposed to you know have true faith when you know people are saying one thing on Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week they're doing you know unspeakable things? So on the on the one hand, the fire is actually the good thing because God's saying, okay, this is a mess, we need to sort it out, and I will sort it out, right? And I, and I will actually give my people uh, a purified and refined faith and uh, worship here. Uh, but then, as we were saying, also, there's also the wrath that comes. So, I mean, they just they just go together all the time. And it's just we're, we're, we're surprised. And, and we uh, I think you were kind of maybe kind of hinting at this idea that today we, we think to ourselves like, oh, the God in the Old Testament seems so wrathful and. Wouldn't it just be better if he was just loving, right? And there, there is no just loving, though. Um, I mean, truthfully, right. when we, you know, talk about love and that sort of cheapened, saccharine sense, it, we're talking about, I mean, apathy, like just, oh, okay, whatever. I'm just going to leave them alone, and they can do whatever. But that's that's not love, right? Well, think of Hebrews chapter thirteen, which talks about. Uh, what father among you uh, doesn't discipline you? And yet we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, not out of hatred, but out of love. And how much more right. than, therefore, our, our Father in heaven? So, you know, pastorally, can we see our sufferings as coming from God? I mean, on the one hand, we confess that God is not the author of evil, right? He, does, he right. has not created the, the evil in our lives. But that he is using it, he's using it to chasten us, uh, to right. call us back to himself, and right. so he deals with us as a father deals with his children, and that's really, uh, you know, where the law is in service to the gospel. It's meant to prepare us for the saving message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's and that's so right. Even even though that. the law and the gospel go hand in hand, they're always together. Um, it's it's because God wants to give us the gospel. Um, and, and the law is just in service to that. We, we do talk about that, that there is like, I mean, there, there's something a little bit of a paradox in that, that, you know, on the one hand, is the law the will of God? Well, yes, the law is the will of God. Is is the is, uh, the gospel the will of God? Well, yes, that's also the will of God. But somehow we, we, we find it to say that the, the gospel is, is more God's will in a sense, you know, and that's because that's what he himself says, that, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that his wrath is maybe for three or four generations, but his loving kindness for a thousand. God himself says he prefers the gospel. Sure. And and that's ultimately his his will. In in Lutheran terminology, we would talk about God's alien work versus his proper work, right? What right. is the proper work of God to preach the gospel? But you cannot preach the gospel uh, to sinners that are hardened in their in their unbelief, right? There there must be uh, there must be the law that comes first to prepare one's heart to receive the grace of God, uh, right? Yeah, which is just what you said. Yep. 
and, and you get so much of this in this section that that develops here and goes through verse 19 that we just read. The other thing that I really want to, you know, spend just a minute here talking about when it talks about this reversal now on Assyria and, and the judgment against them, because this is this is a little bit different. Um, I mean, of course, you know, all of humanity is in a sense um created in the image of God and is the 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 children of God in a, in a very broad sense, in the sense of maybe the scope of, you know, the first few chapters of Genesis. So there is, you, you could say, a kind of a disciplining that happens even with Assyria. Um, but there is this judgment against Assyria here. And it's an interesting description because it describes it as now all of a sudden, whereas Israel was the the tree right that was going to get cut down here now israel is like a fire and the fire is going to rise up and turn against assyria who's described as thorns and briars so, and, and syria is going to get burned here so the the imagery has shifted now so what is i mean this is a, a pretty re- remarkable shift <laughs> that you know this tree turns into fire i mean it, you kind of think of the burning bush here um it, you mm-hmm. know turning against uh, the axe now and, and the axe is now the wood that's being threatened so very dramatic shift what is the, what is this talking about here well if if we're to put it in its historical perspective uh, God uses Assyria to humble and destroy the ten northern tribes in 721 B.C. But then, after that happens, the agent of judgment was judged. And uh, this is the prophet Nahum, who prophesies Assyria and Nineveh's downfall. And so it's in 612 B.C. that the Babylonians, under Nebuchadnezzar, came and destroyed Nineveh. And that brought an end to the reign and the rule of Assyria. So truly in chapter 10, we see that the agent of God's judgment is itself judged. Because as you mentioned, Yahweh is the king over all the nations, right? Uh, Yes. But uh, it it, it also reminds us, too, of what St. Mary sings in her Magnificat. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones. And mm-hmm. we see this happening again and again, where God humbles the proud uh, and, and the, the heart of proud kings such as Nebuchadnezzar, King Herod in the New Testament. Uh, this is a, a theme that we find throughout Holy Scriptures, uh, that, you know, right. God humbling the proud, right? That, that, that's right. And, and you really, um, in, in this whole thing about the succession of kingdoms, I mean, we saw that in a big way in Daniel, right? Because, I mean, that, that now, mm-hmm. the direction that we're talking about, how you just go from you know Assyria to Babylon to the the Medo Persian Empire to the right. Seleucids after them, I mean, or, or the Greeks and then the Seleucids and the Romans, right? It's just you know every mm-hmm. successive kingdom is just God judging the kingdom before them, right? And it's God gives right. the kingdoms of the earth to whom He will. That's what you get in Daniel. That's like kind of a refrain again and again um, that that Nebuchadnezzar himself will need to understand after he boots out the Assyrians. So yeah, it's such, such a big pattern, such a, such a, you know, a profound thought really that God really is in control, even of all these nations who, who don't uh, call on his name. Um, and I think that's the, the big ultimate way that Assyria gets judged, but they have a little judgment um, in, in the meantime um, done by Israel and not by Babylon, you know, and, and that's kind of the thing that's, um, you know, it's easy to overlook because, you know, it is really minor, 
But what, what we know mm-hmm. also from history is that they're going to come down to the south, Assyria will, and they're going to come and they're going to tear through Judah. And like that description of thorns and briars, right? That was a description mm-hmm. we had a couple chapters ago of what Judah is going to be reduced to. Remember when we had the prophecy of Emmanuel um, originally back there in chapter seven, and that was the description of what things were going to be like, that all the agriculture was going to be wiped out, um, like the way that a flood wipes out the fields, and it's just going to be uh, thorns and briars, and so the people are going to be, you know, just, you know, gathering fruit and um, eating a whole lot of dairy products because they're just going to be kind of subsisting. They're not They're not going to have the benefit of all their, their farming and agriculture. So it, there is this, this minor way where there they come, the, the thorns and briars of the Assyrians wiping out Judah. They're going to get up to, their, the, to the gates of Jerusalem. They're going to put them under siege. But then what happens during the siege, right? And, and the description is that the angel of the Lord, this is what you get from elsewhere in Scripture, the angel of the Lord strikes down like a, a tremendous number of the Assyrian men. So what's going on? Well, in these siege situations, the, one of the biggest dangers is sickness. You, you just, I mean, mm. it's unsanitary conditions. It's really easy for something to just go, you know, you're in close quarters. You're just in mud and mire. Uh, everyone's just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mess, everything. And it's really easy for all of a sudden you've got this huge number of people and now they're all just getting sick and it just spreads. And it says something like that, that, you know, the light of Israel will become like a fire in verse 16. Um, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. So this, this to me anyway, seems to be describing that there, there's just going to be this breaking point where Assyria is like, guys, we got to call the siege off. <laughs> we, we can't outlast right. them. Our people are falling apart out here. And, and, and that is the sense, the minor sense in which they get burned by, by um, Hezekiah. They get burned by Jerusalem and they have to turn back and they are, judged even by that tiny little remnant there in the south sure um, they got to call off the siege and, and go back to Nineveh yeah I actually hadn't even considered that but you actually get sickness twice in verse 16 where it says he will send wasting sickness among right. the stout warriors and then again you get it in 18 that uh, the Lord will destroy and it will be as when a sick man wastes away right. uh, so that's absolutely true yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a minor thing. You know, the Assyrians are going to go back to Nineveh and say, yeah, you know, we totally, you know, wiped them out. And, you know, yeah, you know, we, we, we demanded tribute and, you know, so we won, you know, they're, they're claiming victory, but, uh, you know, with, with their tail between their legs a little bit more than they'd like to admit though. And so God's going to be the one to send them back. Um, and so th- there, there is um, another little sense in which, uh, again, the spoil speeds and the plunder hastens again that that fun name but there's the other name right and this is so interesting how chapter 10 is just let's take the names of isaiah's sons and show very explicitly how these names come to unfold in history the name mm-hmm. the remnant will return um shiar yashub right so let's consider yep. the, the last part of the chapter here i'm just going to go ahead and read it as as one unit so we have a few minutes to just kind of really talk about how it all functions together but Here it is. The remnant finally is going to return here. Verse 20. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. 
For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb and his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. He has come to Aath. He has passed through Migron. At Mikmash, he stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass. At Geba, they lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gebeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galim. Give attention, O Leshah. O poor Anathoth. Madmenah is in flight. The inhabitants of Gebim flee for safety. This very day, he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great and height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So this is interesting because, um, you know, this, this last part, you know, um, it, it seems to be kind of a repeating, I think, what we were saying, that there is going to be this reversal and Assyria is going to be judged here. Um, interesting here how he, um, he he's the one now lifting up a, a different axe against the one who is described as an axe. So, I mean, we're just, Isaiah 10 is, is just, it's full of reversals, right, again and again and again. But the thing that's mm-hmm. unique in this section is, focusing in verse 20 on that remnant of Israel and all of this, that, you know, it's not just that the Assyrians are going to call off the siege, but there is going to be a remnant that returns. Yes. And again, this is showing that the king of Assyria and Yahweh God are at cross purposes, because what does Assyria want to do? We'll completely wipe out their enemies. And God is saying, I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to set a boundary against evil so like where god says in job you know thus far shall you come and no further Mm -hmm. uh he's not going to let assyria even though assyria is the instrument he's not going to let assyria get what it ultimately wants uh he's going to use it for his own good and gracious purposes which is uh what god does again and again with evil he uses it to work his good and so yes the remnant in verse 21 And how surprising is it when God says in 24, be not afraid of the Assyrians, right? That seems contradictory (laughs) to say, I will bring bring disaster, but be not afraid. Why? Because the disaster will will not be total, and it will not be forever, right? God, uh, think of the Psalm verse that says, um, I think it's Psalm 30, verse 5, that his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. So, you know, this too shall pass. God's punishment will uh, will pass, and he will preserve his people. Uh, ultimately, for the sake of Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, who is going to be born, and 
redeem his people from sin and death. So this is, I, th- these are some gospel notes in this very thick uh, sort of judgment passage here. Right, right. And, and and right. So in in the midst of like and this is interesting too, in the midst of all this destruction, you you have um this repetition of of really, I mean it's it's the exodus, right? And that this was interesting because, you know, mm-hmm. in in, um, in earlier parts of of Isaiah, it was it was like the, you know, the exodus was was going to be undone. Um, you know, like, like that's right. what was happening that, you know, and that was the idea of, you know, like whistling to the, to the wilderness in the East to, to bring the armies here, to bring the chariots here. It was like, you know, Hey, in the Exodus, you know, God was the one who dealt with the armies and the chariots and the, and the, the bowmen and the archers of Egypt. Right. And, and now he's come, you know, like he's hastening them over here, you know? So there, there was this, uh, this reversal, but now it's a repetition, and isn't that interesting? How I mean, like these these images that are supposed to be immensely comforting, right? That you know that we're going to have this you know lifting up of the staff over the sea, like it says there in verse twenty six, and it's like the way that God lifted up the staff in Egypt, and we're going to be rescued dramatically in the same way that we were rescued from the house of slavery. Mm-hmm. And, and and it leads to the question, you know, why is God always so patient with his people who again and again rebel and turn their backs to him why does god continue to persist with this people that is that is constantly turning to other gods and the answer is because of his grace right his grace that we find in jesus christ and so ultimately we we see that Uh, but it also shows that god is is not just a god of israel and judah but he's really uh, the God of the nations, right? He's, he's mm-hmm. this cosmic God who can uh, raise up nations and deliberately use them and then, uh, and then judge them. But his salvation, too, is not just for Israel and Judah. It is for the whole world. And so Assyria, too, uh, God would have as the object of his, of his mercy, um, which we see play out in the New Testament, right? Salvation is also for the Gentiles and for everyone. Yeah. So. Well, it, it is, it is interesting too. And we talked about this a little bit when we were looking at Daniel, you know, that, you know, in this transition um, that you go from Assyria to Babylon to, um, you know, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's interesting more and more you get this idea of there's this, this God in heaven. And, and by the time you get to um, like the, the, the Medo Persian period, they're really emphasizing this and it's not quite monotheism. We talked about that. It's not quite saying like, well, there's only one God, but it's, it's getting, it's like somehow getting closer to that. So it it almost seems like as God disciplines these major world powers over here, they're, they're getting closer to this idea of actually hang on a second. There is a God in heaven who is directing uh, the affairs on earth here, who's in control of everything. Like they're, they're getting closer to that idea. So there is, I mean, I like mm-hmm. what you were saying that, you know, like all the nations are gods and there is a sense that he's disciplining all of them. Right. And, and I'd be interested to hear what you would have to say about Daniel. You know, he was one of the Magi, right. Working under yeah. the, uh, <laughs> these, uh, sort of false, uh, clerics. And yet, yeah. Uh, the Magi who come to worship our Lord, I mean, do you think that they had the scriptures from Daniel? Um, mm. 
Well, <laughs> I read that. Well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's very, I mean, it's very interesting. Of course, it's a provocative thought. And we talked about that, you know, sure. there's Daniel, right. You know, like he's a, he's a, he's a good, um, you know, Hebrew in exile. And he's also mm-hmm. like, you know, one of the chief magicians and, and fortune tellers, sure. right. It's like what, 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 you know, for, for the Babylonian King. So it's like uh, quite a, quite a title, right. For a God fearing man. Um, sure. yeah. And, and so to, to think, you know, to what extent he would have been a, a good influence, right. I mean, we, we know already that, you know, um, you know, just thinking about when he's, he's thrown into the lion's den, right. That you've, mm-hmm. you've got this, this, it's a, it's public knowledge that this guy prays, um, facing toward Jerusalem, right. that he prays to the God of Israel. So it's like, they know who the God of Israel is. And, and, and when they're, uh, when the Persians are resettling them, they're like, yeah, take these, uh, sacrifices for Yahweh. And, and like, and what, what do they say? We saw this when we went over, um, Daniel and then, and then Ezra, that like he's actually mm-hmm. giving them the right sacrifices, like he's actually giving them the sure. right things that they need that were actually mandated in Leviticus and Numbers. So it's like, yeah, someone's been told about this. Like someone's like had to. I mean, so to a certain extent, um, we have to say like we definitely know that they they mm-hmm. got at least something out of the scriptures from sure. all of that that interplay there. But um, yeah, yeah, I know. You just it's it's interesting to to think about some of these things. Easy to kind of just uh, pursue down the, the the rabbit hole a little bit. But we, we only have a minute, a minute left here, maybe thirty seconds. But uh, last thoughts here, and this again, this this powerful reversal against Assyria, and you see the remnant returning. And the overarching point, I think, is that God uh, uses evil and He works it for His own good and gracious purposes, and uh, talking about Daniel and all of his time that he spent not only in Babylon but also in Persia, uh, we see it through the life of the prophets and God's Old Testament and New Testament saints uh, that he is working uh, evil for good, and so Assyria is going to be the instrument of his judgment, uh, and finally to bring um, uh, Israel and Judah to repentance that they may be turned to God. And uh, so, yeah, to emphasize that point once again, that God uses evil for good. Right. And of course, seen most poignantly in reversing the the evil of the cross and the tomb for our resurrection and our forgiveness. So thank you so much, brother. So good having you on. And uh, yay, come back. Let's do this again. Thank you very much. Everybody, that was Pastor Andrew Yeager, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Decatur, Illinois. Thanks for joining us today. We check out, uh, please check out our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. We thank them as well. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.